Welcome to Deep Pockets by Petra Söderling, a conversation about governments, technologies, and innovation. The ongoing season, winter 2023, is loosely based on my upcoming book, Governments and Innovation, The Economic Developer's Guide to Our Future. The book will be available for purchase in Amazon during Q1 2023. Our theme song is by New Orleans jazz icon Leroy Jones. Welcome back to Deep Pockets. I hope our latest episode is as exciting for you as it is for me. When people talk about big government innovation, a few pet projects always emerge. And yes, I'm guilty of this myself. Without the government, we wouldn't have nuclear energy, the internet, most vaccines, and the space program. The U.S. space program has been an unprecedented injection of public money into creating a set of technologies, a platform, a business model, and an educated, readily available talent pool of professionals in this space. Pun intended. But... NASA and the space program were and are not alone in creating these publicly funded private opportunities between the Earth and Mars and maybe beyond. Airspace, the term used collectively to refer to the atmosphere and outer space, includes activities done everywhere inside the Earth's gravitational field, publicly and privately funded research, development, innovation, commercial and economic activities within airspace are booming. For example, the U.S. airspace and defense industry saw more than $874 billion in total sales revenue in 2020. The market for global airspace parts manufacturing is projected to reach $1.36 trillion by, by 2030. Let me repeat that. Just manufacturing parts for airspace is $1.36 trillion industry. And... If air transport was a country, it would rank 17th in GDP size, putting it on par with Indonesia or the Netherlands. To give us some context, I'm joined today by Robert Belletic from the Colorado Office of Economic Development and International Trade. Mr. Belletic is a former Air Force general with over 20 years of senior executive experience in all aspects of strategy, operations, and financial management. He has held multiple notable positions, including strategist for the United Arab Emirates Ministry of Defense, director of operation for the Canadian Air Force, commander of a U.S. Air Force fighter wing, and chair of three think tanks. Mr. Belletic holds a Bachelor of Science in Aeronautical Engineering and Master Degrees in Finance, Aeronautical Science and Public Administration. Welcome to Deep Pockets, Robert. Thank you, Petra. It's nice to be here. A long resume there that I read. Congratulations on a stellar career with some of the most, uh, should I say, surprising, but at the same time, impressive former titles. Uh, reading your resume there seems to be a journey from a wing commander in the 388th Fighter Wing, which included three operational fighter squadrons and an air control squadron. And as the wing commander, you were also responsible for the Utah Test and, and Training Range. Uh, from there, uh, moving on to being a vice commander in what was the first U.S. Air Force 
And as we just learned, you also worked for Canada and the United Arab Emirates of all places. How did this all happen? Well, Petra, let's see. After commanding the fighter wing, I served in the Pentagon in legislative affairs and as chief of the chairman's think tank. So, and then following that assignment, I had the pleasure of serving, as you said, with the Canadian Air Force as their director of operations for two years. And then from there, I moved to vice commander of First Air Force, which is the air component to NORTHCOM, which is the command that protects North America. Since departing the military, I've served in various roles, one in finance. I coached a high school robotics team. And as you mentioned, I served in the UAE for one year working with its military. My current job is working for the governor of Colorado and his economic development team as the aerospace and defense industry manager. And I continue to do some consulting for the United States Air Force and the United States Space Force. For fun, I'm the director of the Air Force Heritage M2M, which is an annual four-day bicycle ride from the Wright Brothers Memorial in North Carolina to the Air Force Memorial in Washington, D.C. And then when I can find time to sneak off, I go to Texas and Southern California to teach kite surfing. Oh my gosh, wow. Okay, you left out the most important part, which is you also went to the U.S. Air Force Fighter Weapons School, which is the Top Gun School. So you are a Top Gun and uh, you were referred to as surf to me by some people. Uh, so what is surf? So fighter pilots in the American Air Force, when we become combat ready, we get nicknames. And so they gave me surf. And uh, I kind of have grown into the name over the years. Okay, Robert, surf. And as you mentioned today, you work at the at the Office of Economic Development and International Trade in Colorado, and we're going to call it OEDIT for short in this podcast. So OEDIT is the Office of Economic Development and International Trade. That is, as you said, it's a state-owned agency, and the target is to generate new jobs and to offer services to local companies, as well as out-of-state or even out-of-country companies who are looking to engage with Colorado. And your role there is specifically is to ensure the Colorado airspace industry is growing bigger and stronger. Tell us uh, in more detail about your work at OEDIT. Uh, yes, thanks, Petra. This is a new role for me, aerospace and defense business development for a state. I think in any role you take, what should be important to you is who you will work with and your belief in the mission. My colleagues here at OEDIT are exceptional people. And our mission is exciting. We are building and advancing the greatest aerospace ecosystem on the planet. In my role, I'm able to draw on my aerospace, military, and financial expertise to present the case for Colorado to companies looking to expand or relocate. Thanks. Yeah, the audience may not be aware of the airspace industry here in Colorado. I, I'm i a new Colorado and I moved here two years ago and I was surprised by how strong and, and deep it is in technology and business-wise. Can you give us some highlights on the companies? Uh, how many, what type of companies we have here? You bet. Colorado is at the front of the aerospace industry, especially anything to do with space. We design, test, and operate everything from rockets to spacecraft to satellites to sophisticated sensors to software, imagery, position, and timing platforms. We have more people working in aerospace per capita than any other state or nation. Wow. We have some 400 aerospace companies. 63% of them have 10 employees or less, which I think demonstrates innovation is flourishing here. 
Several big companies have also elected to move or build their headquarters here, such as Maxar, United Launch Alliance, Lockheed Martin Space, Ball Aerospace, Sierra Space, Boom, Jeppesen, and Voyager Space. Yeah, well, I'm I'm starstruck. This is really exciting. And as a Colorado, I'm quite proud of the companies we have here. Um, but let's shift gears to the policy side for a little bit. Uh, airspace and defense are both highly regulated industries. And these companies that you mentioned are controlled by at least, uh, and I did some research, so at least by the following organizations. They are controlled by the Federal Aviation Authority, U.S. Department of Transportation, National Transportation Safety Board, uh, U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and I'm sure possibly others that I'm not even aware of. So how do the policies and regulations affect your work? And I mean, as you help airspace companies to export to other regions and alien airspace companies to enter Colorado, uh, do you consider these policies helpful or could someone say they're even harmful to private business? Uh, well, this is a great question. The policies and regulations on the whole provide order and stability. Without regulations, just as in society, it would be chaos. For example, when you fly in an airplane, you trust that the government has deconflicted the airspace such that your aircraft doesn't get hit by another aircraft or doesn't fly through a military training area or some UAS testing range. We also have rules governing and protecting intellectual property. This allows companies to rightly capitalize on their hard work and innovation. When it comes to exporting and importing, I think there are two concerns. First, we need to be sure that our allies and us combined have the industrial base we need for collective national security. Second, we need to have regulations such as ITAR. ITAR is the International Traffic and Arms Regulations uh, that establish controls regarding the export and import of defense-related items. ITAR is meant to limit access to specific technologies and their associated data resources. And anytime one limits anything, I imagine it can be detrimental to someone's business. But without the reasonable guardrails, national security and the rule of law would be threatened. And then everyone could lose when chaos sets in. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned IP, protecting intellectual property rights. Um, so also related to the policies and authorities, uh, another side of this is the confidentiality. And many of the airspace and adjacent products are classified as what's called dual use. It means that they can be used for both military as well as civilian use. So with your military background, you must be very comfortable operating in these highly classified environments. But when we promote products and business opportunities, we should at the same time be very open and vocal about the qualities and capabilities of these products and companies. So how do in your work, how do you marry these two? Well, first, the handling of classified information is relatively simple. One simply doesn't share things with people that don't have the appropriate clearance and need to know. There are certain levels of classified material where not only requires the person to have a need to know, but can only be shared in special facilities. I think the real trick to making the system work is making good decisions on what really needs to be classified and at what level. If one overclassifies something, then we all lose the benefit of a broader discussion and possible commercial purposes. So I think we have to look at everything on a case-by-case -case basis. An example of dual use of a dual use decision that was taken for the greater good 
was the decision to allow the worldwide use of GPS. Hmm. 2000, President Clinton announced a commitment to grant civilians access to undegraded GPS signals, just like we enjoyed within the U.S. military. In 2007, under President Bush, the Department of Defense made that commitment permanent. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I'm so jealous of your job right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you told us quite a bit about your day-to-day job there and how you handle it, but we, we were eager to hear more. As you know, we've discussed this earlier before the recording. In my book, Government and Innovation, I look into how countries can use innovation to prosper. And of course, states have their means to enhance economic growth and, and selected industries like airspace. How is this working more concretely? How is the Colorado state government, or maybe it's the U.S. federal government, how are they helping U.S. airspace companies? Is it uh, some kind of R&D support, manufacturing? Is it subsidies or maybe some other way that I'm not aware of? It, it, it's probably all the above, but it, it really starts with leadership. So here in Colorado, we have a pro-business governor. We work to develop the entire aerospace ecosystem from universities to workforce development, to research labs, to infrastructure. In my role specifically, we have statutory incentives. One is the job growth incentive tax credit. If a company is going to expand or relocate to Colorado, we can offer tax credits in many, in many cases. We also have an advanced industry accelerator program where we can offer grants to companies in almost any stage of development, starting with the proof of concept to early stage capital to collaborative infrastructure grants to export assistance. Yeah, it's that's a good reminder. We're doing this all for jobs and for prosperity of, of Coloradans and, and Americans. So it's not just for, for fun or for some companies to benefit. It's for everyone. Uh, you mentioned alliances earlier. You've been very helpful in uncovering some of the practices. Uh, my final question, and again, not maybe not an easy question. The airspace industry is very sensitive and there's tough competition between different countries. And to be on top of this industry, what does it take in your view, maybe besides a huge budget? Is it education? Is it, uh, again, the direct government investments? You mentioned tax, tax breaks and, and the state research centers or something else. So what's the catalyst for new airspace and defense innovations in general? And maybe, I don't know if you can answer this, but why can some countries invent new technologies and defense innovations where others cannot, or maybe they choose not to? Well, you know, this question reminds me when someone asks, what is the best way to learn a language? Is it grammar classes, conversational classes, watching films, reading poetry, reading newspapers or magazines? Are watching the news, listening to music. Um, and the answer, of course, is all of them. You must do all of them to learn the language. And so it's kind of the same in aerospace. Here in Colorado, we have a broad-based and growing aerospace ecosystem. We have the industry, as we spoke about. We are home to world-class research labs. 33 of them in the state are federally mm. funded. We have universities with top aerospace programs. We have aerospace incubators. We have government support at all levels. We have local support from economic development corporations. We have 50% of the United States Space Force based here in Colorado. We have an educated workforce. 
We are a destination state and thus can attract and retain talent. The experts from around the world convene here each year. We have four major aerospace conferences this year, the biggest being the annual space symposium. And here in Colorado, we have a culture of collaboration. So there's no single thing. It's all these things combined that builds such a great aerospace ecosystem. Yeah. If the audience could see me, I'm just like shaking my head. This is, this is incredible. These numbers are incredible. And, uh, you know, if I was any younger, I, I would want your career. I would want to be Top Gun. Uh, so thank you so much. Before we close the session today, because um, we do have some young young uh, men and women in the audience, do you have any message for them if they are considering a career in the Air Force or maybe in the aerospace private industry? Is there maybe a website, social media account that you could recommend for them? Well, well first of all, the aerospace industry covers a broad spectrum of skills. So in addition to aeronautical and astronautical engineers, we need pros in hundreds of technical fields and skilled craftsmen electricians, welders, dreamers, entrepreneurs. To young people thinking or considering aerospace work, I would first say, excellent choice. It is exciting work. Then I would encourage them to do well in their math and science classes and to try to get some entry-level hands-on technical experience, such as joining a robotics team or simply using YouTube to learn how to fix things yourself when it's safe to do so. Let's see, for, for your websites, I, you know, there's hundreds of sites. I think the Air and Space Forces Association uh, site is good. It offers a daily newsletter and podcast. Um, Aviation Week and Space Technology is classic as well, and it's very good. Thanks. I'll put those uh, websites as a link in the description of this episode. Robert Beledick, former vice commander of First Air Force, former director of Canadian Air Force, former chair of Joint Chiefs of Staff Strategy Group, wing commander, and top gun call sign surf. Thank you for visiting Deep Pockets today. Thank you, Petra. The, the pleasure was mine. Thank you very much. You've listened to Deep Pockets by Petra Söderling. To subscribe to content and to pre-order the book Governments and Innovation, The Economic Developer's Guide to Our Future, please go to petrasoderling.com. The wonderful music you heard is by Leroy Jones, an iconic New Orleans Jazz Hall of Fame trumpetist. You can find this and other Leroy Jones tunes at your favorite online or offline music store. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe, like, rate, and share our episodes. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you.